Okay, and welcome back to QLC Radio. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about cryptocurrency and Bitcoin. I mean, you can't really have a conversation about crypto without Bitcoin. It's the granddaddy of it all, really. It's where it all started. I thought this episode, I'd go back to an earlier style of podcast that I was doing. When I first began, I was sort of looking at things, so like dating apps or looking at finance, whatever it was I was looking at at the time, and just kind of giving you some more facts and information about it. I've done a lot recently about my view and my take on things, and I thought it'd be good to just, yeah, roll it back to an older episode style and give you just some information, give you something that I think is very interesting. And let's be honest, the world of crypto is so interesting. It's just everywhere, you know, and especially this year, I guess to do with lockdown, you know, a lot of people got into it in the same way a lot of people got into, you know, trading on 212 and stocks and shares and things like that. People also looked at crypto. And it went on a huge rise, you know. Bitcoin over the past couple of years has gone up like £30,000 in value. I think at the moment it's actually in a dip. Um, I think as we're speaking right now, it might be around 30 k or something. So it's actually dropped like almost 15 k of its value. We'll get into that a little bit later. When you've got this amount of money into, would you call it an industry, a sector? I don't know. It's not really a sector or an industry in the traditional sense like we've had in the past. but point is there's a lot of money in it and not a lot of people really know what it's about including me i have a lot of trouble comprehending what the fuck is bitcoin and what is cryptocurrency so i thought let's give it a go and i'll try and put across what it is how it started how i've been involved in it in the past which i've alluded to in the earlier episodes where i think it's going what are some of the controversies about it and what are some of the potential uses of it so yeah, I want this to be like an introduction for everyone, and hopefully I give you almost a bit of a a good sort of, you know, foot in the door of what it actually is, and then, you know, you can go away and have a look at it yourselves. I won't be going too technical, because I just don't have that understanding. I have a quite a base level, quite a superficial knowledge, but it's still enough for me that I think is very interesting to make a con- uh, to make a podcast about. So without further ado, let's get right into it. Bitcoin. When did it begin? So it began, I think it was like 2009 or 2011, thereabouts. No, 2009. I'm sorry. I've just looked up in front of me. <laughs> so it started in 2009 and it was invented by someone or a group of people under the alias Satoshi Nakamoto. And it began sort of off the back of the recession. So if you remember in 2008, there was a big housing crash and then a big global recession as a result. And Bitcoin was founded as a way to counteract something like that ever again. Not counteract it, actually. It's more founded that money is back in our control as opposed to big corporations and the banks and things like that. That's one of the key foundations of any cryptocurrency, Bitcoin being the first, is that it's decentralized. Now, because if we look back at that recession, like I said, a lot of it was to do with banks overlending and therefore the central government failing. and that's what caused the recession, in a nutshell anyway. There's a lot more to it than that, but I can't go into that. You'd need like two hours of a podcast to go into all of it. So this idea of Bitcoin, a decentralized currency, was born. And the best way to illustrate this is if I make a transaction to you, the listener, my bank will, whether it's NatWest, HSBC, whatever it is, my bank is the intermediary that will validate that transaction. If I want to pay you £5, the bank verifies I have £5 in my account, fantastic, great, and then it sees that you get that £5. 
decentralized Bitcoin network, however, is just me to you. There's no intermediate, there's no central authority that looks at that transaction. And that's one of the key differences. So it basically is a way, an alternate currency that allows me to pay you directly without having that middleman. Because as we discussed earlier, the founders of Bitcoin did not trust the middleman. And a lot of people don't trust the middleman anymore. You know, we think there's a lot of manipulation of currency and value and things like that. So that's why it began. And that's why it started. And interestingly enough, this Satoshi Nakamoto, no one actually knows who he is or who the group are. They're anonymous, which is quite interesting. And also, it that's quite a point of contention as well, because a lot of people, as a result, therefore don't trust crypto or Bitcoin, which is fair enough. If, if they haven't got a face, what have they got to hide, you know? So I can understand why people don't really trust it as a result of that. But anyway, so we covered the why. So now very basically, what is it? So we said it's a decentralized cryptocurrency. It's a decentralized currency. It was meant to be an alternate to like the pound, the dollar, and um, a store of value that we can start processing amongst ourselves. And in terms of how it works, this is where it gets a little bit complicated. So for the next few minutes, try not to tune out and I'll do my best to explain it. You've probably heard with cryptocurrencies, something called a blockchain this is this sort of buzzword that's just thrown around you know and people who don't really know anything about bitcoin will just be like yeah well you know it's all about blockchain technology isn't it you know and they don't really know what it is i also don't know what it is but i know a very kind of high level so i'll try and break it down so a blockchain is effectively a database you know it's it's a store of data in its simplest form in the same way, if you go into Excel and you create a table with columns and rows, that's a database. Blockchain is a database. It's just a different way of storing the data is the best way to think about it. So let's try and break that down even further. So go back to the transaction example where I transact, I pay you, listener. So I pay you, the listener, to Bitcoin. Well, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, I'll be paying you about 100 grand, but I pay you, the listener, to Bitcoin. This transaction is captured it's captured on the blockchain network of Bitcoin and it's captured in a specific block. I'm not sure how many transactions go into a block. I think it's maybe up to 2000 transactions can be stored in one single block. Now, it goes into this block and it's on the Bitcoin network and you can keep adding new blocks. So this is one advantage of it because once a block has been made, it's there. It's historically kept there. It can't be altered or anything like that. So this is one advantage of the way that the data is kept. And then we just keep adding more and more blocks to the blockchain. And you can look up blocks as well. You could even Google it yourself how to look up a block. If you have a reference, you can look up a specific block. So that's effectively what's happening. Now, blockchain itself, how does it work? How do you know that your money or my money in this example, how do I know my money is going to you, the listener? So there is this network this Bitcoin network, and it's basically, instead of being managed by, say, a central authority like NatWest or HSBC, it's managed by us, the people. So the way it works is that when I pay you, it's captured in this block, in this little list of transactions that are going on in the Bitcoin network. And then everyone else who is on the Bitcoin network, and I should explain now, just by making a transaction doesn't mean you're on the Bitcoin network to be on it and to be able to 
validate a transaction, you have to download some Bitcoin software. And once you've done that, you're officially part of the network and you can start validating transactions. So I pay you and then there's someone else out there on the Bitcoin network who can validate that transaction. And that's effectively what it is. It's not one person, by the way. When I say there's someone else out there, it will be this whole network. Everyone has a chance to validate it, right? And that's how the network is kept up. So that's how if I say that I'm giving you 50 Bitcoin or whatever it is, this network will look at my historical transactions and it will be like, okay, yeah, he's got 50 to give. We can validate that. Go ahead. It should go to that person. And whoever is signed up to this software, their computer is now integral to keeping that network going. So now this brings me on to the next point, Bitcoin mining. And what the hell is that? And what the fuck is that? And this is where it might get a little bit complicated. So what we've covered so far is me paying you is validated by whoever has the Bitcoin network on their computer. Bitcoin mining, it's it's not exactly, the name suggests is that you're just creating Bitcoin. And in a sense you are, but that's more a byproduct of what you're actually doing. So the process of Bitcoin mining, that person who's on the Bitcoin network, who's validating our transaction, they need to prove that they are a validator. They need to prove they are a valid validator, for lack of a better word. And by that I mean, you know, someone could potentially just go and give their validation, you know what I mean? And without having to prove who they are as a validator, as a matter of fact, you know, without having to give any kind of proof of um, who they are or that they are indeed valid. I keep saying the word valid. Bear with me here. So this is where Bitcoin mining comes into it. For the validator to prove that they are who they are and that they have the right to be able to say that that transaction is fine, they need to solve a complex set of equations which proves that they are the ones who can validate, that they are the ones that can say, yep, this is a valid transaction. And by proving, and this is where the name cryptocurrency comes into it, because each block will have a complex set of equations that computers will have to solve. And once they solve that, then they have the right to say, yes, okay, we can validate this block, this block can go through. Now, by solving these equations, it takes up a lot of CPU time, and that's something we're going to get onto later as well about the energy usage. But by taking up a lot of CPU time, you want to reward the person who has given their CPU time for that, right? Because energy use is money. And to make it an incentive for someone to be on the Bitcoin network, we have to give them some sort of reward. And that's where mining comes into it. So whenever someone on the network proves a transaction, proves a block, they are, because of the complex set of equations their computers have to, have to just solve, they're rewarded with a small amount of Bitcoin. And that Bitcoin is kind of just created, you know? It's just created from wherever the store, the overall store of Bitcoin, I think is like 50 million Bitcoins. There's never going to be any more than that. So they'll give be given 0.1 of that 50 million store. But hopefully that makes sense as to what Bitcoin mining is, because I know there's always a lot of questions about that. And that's also how new Bitcoin is created as well. So there you go. So now you know where it comes from too. It's created by mining in that sense. All right. So I realized there was a lot there. <laughs> and I'm just looking at the time and I've spoken to you about fairly complex kind of concepts for, you know, 10, 12 minutes. But 
you know, go back and re-listen to it. And if you don't get it a second time, then maybe I've just done a shit job, in which case YouTube it. <laughs> the next thing I want to go on to, though, is what's what are the problems associated with Bitcoin? And is it valid as a currency? So the first one, I'm going to answer the first one. Is it valid as a currency? I'm going to answer that right now. And I think, no, it's not being treated as a currency at the moment. It was designed to be like that, but that's not the way it's being treated. People are using it like stocks and shares, you know, in the same way that I will buy, I don't know, bloody Tesla stock in the hope that it goes up. People are buying Bitcoin and various other cryptocurrencies, not just Bitcoin, there's Ethereum, there's Helium, there's so many others, there's Dogecoin. And people are buying it with the hope that it's going to go up in value. So it's not being treated as a currency at the moment. And I think it's kind of failed on that front. Has it got the potential to become a currency, though, and become an actual contender? to fiat currency and fiat just means pounds or dollars yeah i guess it does you know with the way the world is you, you can't really say never you know and it could eventually do that but as it stands i think it's failing on that front and the next big controversy with controversy with it is its energy usage in terms of now bitcoin mining as i was saying earlier to solve this, these equations to be able to prove a block is what it is and that a transaction is what it is it takes a lot of CPU time. It takes a hell of a lot of CPU power to be able to prove it. And as a result, there is now a big energy drain. So the Bitcoin network at the moment is something like, you know, if you if the Bitcoin network was a country, it uses more energy than like the UK uses more energy than Argentina. It uses a hell of a lot of energy. And it's a bit unfair to say if it was a country, but that's more to give you a scale of it because it's you know it's not a country and it is being distributed across the world globally but that's just to give you a scale of the amount of energy it uses and this is one of the big controversies of it and it if you look at bitcoin mines and bitcoin mines are just a, a huge warehouses across the globe that are dedicated to just mining bitcoin the amount of energy use that they have is crazy in fact some of them are moved to iceland because you need so much energy for cooling the computers as well to put it in a naturally cold environment is just smarter than having it in like the desert. So, yeah, so the, these are points of contention. And it's funny, actually, because Elon Musk, the Tesla founder, recently, I think maybe a month ago or something like that, actually pulled Bitcoin as a payment for Teslas because of the energy problems associated with it. And it doesn't go with his ethos of his company. So, you know, fair enough. So that's one of the big issues. And then me saying that about Elon Musk, actually brings us on to one of the next issues of Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, which is that it fluctuates like crazy. So there's the stock market, but the scale at which it fluctuates is just insane because it's all about yeah, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, right? It's just the value we give it. It's like any money, I suppose. It's just the value that we recognize in it. However, with dollars and pounds, because it's centrally regulated, the value, you know, it's, it's safe it's never really going to go bust. Well, never say never. But as it stands, it doesn't look like it's ever going to go bust. So Bitcoin and cryptocurrency doesn't have that central body to regulate its prices. So it's all, you know, speculation, effectively. And when Elon Musk did say that, he said, I'm not going to accept Bitcoin as Tesla payments any for Teslas anymore. It dropped the value of Bitcoin, I think, from like 50,000 to 35,000. 
which is insane. That equates to billions being wiped off of Bitcoin as a whole. You know, it must have been a trillion dollar market cap and then it must have halved after that because it was just so much money lost. So that's one of the other big downsides is that you just don't know where it's going to go. And a lot of experts believe actually that Bitcoin's just going to go to zero one day along with all the other cryptocurrencies that we're just in a bubble at the moment. There's nothing, it doesn't offer anything, it doesn't solve any problems, and then it's just going to go to zero. And there are some strong arguments for that. So, fair enough. And it, I suppose it does solve the central pro- uh, the centralization problem, but will people really take it up? I don't know. Because, again, one of the other problems is to do with security. Now, we don't have that central body. Great, we're in charge of our own money. However, fuck, we're in charge of our own money now. <laughs> you know what I mean? doesn't sound like an issue but i can guarantee you it will be for a lot of people if you don't know how to secure your bitcoins um or secure your online wallets forget about it it's going to get stolen and speaking from experience as well when i first dived into the crypto world i did lose about 200 pounds worth of cryptocurrency on one of the exchanges because i left it in an exchange i didn't actually take it out and put it in a wallet or put it on like a, a hard drive or things like that and as a result boom gone lost it don't know who has it bastards whoever they are but <laughs> there you go so that's another thing to to consider before diving into this world and one of the last things i'm going to say in terms of its its negatives actually there's two more things but it's it's still building off that whole you know the volatility of it and that's market manipulation now we worry about market manipulation anyway in the stock market you know, there's a few sort of major investment firms and banks and billionaires and whatever else able to control the market. And it's funny because Bitcoin wanted to, it was designed to actually steer away from that and be uh, a currency that's in the hands of the people. But again, when it comes to the value of it, that's just not the case. It really is not the case. And we have something called whales. And whales are people that have a huge storage of Bitcoin. We're talking like a thousand plus Bitcoin, and a thousand will equate to like three million. Um, there are a few individuals out there, I don't know who they are, that have huge amounts of Bitcoin. In fact, it's thought that Satoshi, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto, the group or individual that created it, has something like 4.7% of Bitcoin, and that's insane. So when you look at that and you think there are these people who can just crash the market in an instant if they wanted to, Let's say this Satoshi got with 4% of the market decides that, ah, you know what, fuck it, I'm cashing in all my Bitcoin. That's going to cause a huge spike and everyone's going to sell out and it's going to be worth diddly squat again. And yeah, so th- this is something to be wary of because at least with stocks, there's something to it. You can kind of analyze it a little bit. You can take a look into its earnings. You can take a look at the company and you know, okay, this is probably like a, a good bet. I I can confidently put my money into it. I was able to kind of minimize my risk as much as possible. In my opinion, there's no way of doing that with cryptocurrency. It, you know, you, you're just shooting in the dark, in my opinion. So yeah, so again, something else that you need to really think about and consider. And then the final thing, and this is this is a shame because again, it it will impact the value of cryptocurrencies, but it's worth addressing because of its nature of being an, an un, a decentralized currency it is used for shady business. It is used for criminal activities. It's just the way it is. Uh, you know, it can't be tracked 
or it can't be easily tracked anyway. There isn't a central a body. There isn't NatWest, for example, saying, yeah, they did a dodgy transaction. As a result, it was used for a lot of criminal activity, which makes sense, right, if you think about it. Like, uh, I don't know, in the movies, when you see big drug dealers doing huge, huge transactions, like, you know, I'm going to give you 10 kilos of cocaine for a million pounds. It's always in cash, right? And that's not just for the sake of the camera, because it looks cool. No, they're doing that because they don't want it to be tracked easily. And the same with cryptocurrency. So, yeah, and that's one of the final kind of negatives or controversies or things to consider when getting into it that I wanted to cover. Again, spat a lot of information out at you there. But I think it's only fair that I start to say some of the positives to do with cryptocurrency. And one is that it is decentralized. It's not going to be affected in the same way that the markets currently are, that currencies like the dollar currently is. You know, it shouldn't be impacted by a big recession in the way that everything was in 2008. So there is a positive for you right there. And one of the other things as well that's interesting about it, but I guess this goes for any technology, is that we don't really know what the potential of it is yet and what are the uses of it. So if I wind the clock back, one of the examples that is given a lot when talking about Bitcoin and its potential uses is the dot-com boom. And this was when the internet was being commercialized and things were just looking really promising, right? And back in the early 2000s and the late 90s, you could buy into companies like Yahoo and Google and a whole host of random businesses that were being that were moving online. And there was a lot of money to be made. There was also a huge bust as well, and there was a lot of money lost. But at that time, people didn't know what was going to happen with the internet. They didn't know what was going to take off. It was impossible to tell, and it was impossible to tell what was going to be the uses of the internet. Like, you know, 1995 or something, to say to someone then that you're going to be listening to a podcast. I don't even know if podcasts were a thing back then. Fuck me. But <laughs> So you'd have to say to them, you're going to be listening to a radio through the internet, effectively. And they'd be like, what the hell? So... In terms, and I think the same applies with Bitcoin, you know, we're seeing, and cryptocurrency as a whole, we're seeing this trend of a lot of money being pumped into it, a lot of people hedging their bets, not really knowing what's going to happen, but there's huge potential there. And Bitcoin itself doesn't have, in my opinion, doesn't have huge potential. I don't think there's too much more that can be done with it. And it's actually got a lot of flaws itself, as in transaction times are very long. It takes like 10 minutes to validate a block. And a block can only store about 2,000 transactions. It gives it a very slow um, yeah, transaction speed, like nothing compared to like Visa or MasterCard, so it can't really compete there. However, a lot of the other alternate coins and the other cryptocurrencies out there do offer fast transactions, and they do offer something different. So there's others as well that are looking to create like a, a network similar to the internet and using cryptocurrency as a way of... Um, rewarding people that keep up that network so there's a lot of different kind of uses out there now and a lot of different cryptocurrencies that are looking to address different things in the same way when the dot bot dot com boom happened so many different companies people didn't really know it was heading but what that opens the door up to is that there could be so many cool things that are going to come out of it that we just don't even know yet that we just can't even see so it's interesting and it's a space as a result i think people should be somewhat aware of 
and I myself am going to try and you know keep on top of it and understand what's happening. Yeah, it's exciting, right? <laughs> and going into some of the uses now that you couldn't have even seen with Bitcoin and cryptocurrency 10 years ago, there's something called NFTs. Now, this is pretty interesting. It's a way of creating scarcity online. And I, again, I don't understand the technicalities of how they do it. But here's an example. You have a piece of artwork, right? You you have the Mona Lisa, and that is its original. Now, there's plenty of reprints of it or posters or whatever else, but you have the original copy, which is worth like, you know, 30 million or however much it's worth. NFTs is called non-fungible tokens. I'm not going to go into what it, exactly that means. But the concept of it is that it allows you to have original copies of whatever on the internet and cryptocurrency and blockchain enable that again technically i don't know how it enables it but that is just one use that seems to have come up in the past couple of years and is getting quite big at the moment now who would have seen that coming and an example is the first ever tweet by jack dorsey was captured as an nft and sold for god knows how much we're talking like millions here we're talking a crazy amount so that's an interesting use of it, right? That we can now create internet scarcity and we can create original copies, which is something that's not really been done before. I mean, even like GIFs that have been invented, now you can create an original GIF. There'll be copies of it, but there'll now be a stamp on the original one to show that it is the original and that can be sold as almost like an internet artwork. <laughs> it's fucking crazy, right? But that's something that has come out recently, which, yeah. I think that is really cool. I think that's awesome. So who knows what cryptocurrency has in store for us going forward. But one thing to be wary of is that it is new. We have no idea what's going to happen with it. So you have to be very careful. And I guess we'll go into my own sort of journey with it a little bit. And we can close off the podcast with that. Because I realize there's been a lot of information in here. A lot to take in. And it might be quite hard to process. So <laughs> we'll just go to my journey now. Enough of the facts, enough of how it works. About three years ago, was it three years ago? Fucking hell, I'm getting old. It might be longer, actually. Anyway, the boom that we've seen with cryptocurrency this year happened about three or four years ago, and that was how I got introduced to it. Now, I bought a few different ones. I didn't actually buy Bitcoin. I bought some of the other alternate ones. I bought Ethereum and a few others, one was called Cardano as well, another one called Ripple. Um, I bought a lot of trash, <laughs> to be honest, and I didn't have a clue what they all meant and what they all did, but I was excited. I could see that they were you know, going up each day, like one of them, I think, doubled for me in two days, so I was really excited by it, and I was buying all these altcoins because, yeah, I thought there was a lot of money to be made. I saw Bitcoin at the time was worth about 10k. And some of these altcoins were worth about two pence. So I was like, oh, there's potential for these to grow. And what happens with a boom is that a bust usually follows. And that's exactly what happened. I was lucky. I did make some money. I made a decent amount of money, actually. But I also lost quite a lot. <laughs> so I pulled out some of my um, profits, but not enough, unfortunately. And when the, boom, uh, when the bust came, we're talking... Uh, I, I'm not going to go into the exact amounts, actually, but if it was like one grand, the value of it then went to being like 90 pounds. Like we're talking heavy losses. And I was, you know, I wanted to headbutt a wall. I, <laughs> I was furious. 
And as I said earlier as well, I later found out that some of it just got stolen anyway. So not only did I lose some value, I also lost some actual fucking cryptocurrency. So that was a shame. Um, yeah, so that was my sort of journey into it. And then earlier this year, the second boom happened. And I was lucky in the sense that I didn't sell when I bought back three or four years ago. And then in the boom that happened now, I was like, fantastic, great. And I cashed out again. I was like, I've made my money back. I'm cashing out. This this world is too too volatile for me. I want to keep a tab on it and I want to understand what's going on. But in terms of my personal money and personal finance, it, it's just giving me blood pressure. Yeah, <laughs> It's going to age me before my years. I'm going to stick to investing in the stock market or just holding on to my money. You know, that kind of stuff. And yeah, that was kind of my journey into it. So my own personal learning points is if you are going to do it, you know, understand somewhat what's going on. And hopefully you're able to do that with this podcast and what I've just said. You have a very base level now of what cryptocurrency is, how it works and what it's all about. And also some of the risks. That's probably the main one. Just, you know, knowing what some of the risks are, as with any kind of investment, when you're doing anything with your money, just understand what the risks are. Second thing is security and safety of your cryptocurrency. Really do some research around that. What are the best ways to keep your cryptocurrency safe? I found it's not a good idea to keep it in the exchanges. Maybe if it's a small amount, then yeah, you can keep it in the exchanges so that you can quickly convert to another cryptocurrency or whatever it is. But I think the best thing to do is to keep it on a hard drive or a USB stick. And there's something called a ledger, which will allow you to do that. Bloody hell, I should ask them for a sponsorship, shouldn't I? But no, I'm not getting paid anything for this. This is just my personal learnings. It's a bit expensive, a bit long. But if you want to have that guaranteed security, I would go for something called a ledger um, because it stores it off your computer and offline. And if you want to transact, do any transactions, you can just plug in your ledger um, and yeah and then effectively you go from there so that was one of my main learnings and the second one is or is it third fourth i don't even know what i'm on now there are a lot of alternate coins out there and some of them are absolutely trash so be careful of that like let's look at dogecoin for example dogecoin is worth like 50 billion at the moment which is insane and dogecoin was invented and this is fact as well this is not me speculating it was invented as a joke it was made by two developers, I can't remember their names or where they are, but it was made by them to almost like boycott uh, cryptocurrencies, you know, it was made as a joke, and that joke has now become worth £50 billion, which is, well actually at the time of recording, I think it's that, could be a bit less, but anyway, that's insane, like how can a joke <laughs> you know, end up being worth so much fucking money, it's just unreal, boggles my mind, but the point is, is that you have to be careful with what's out there. You And I think some of them are scams. So that one in my example I used was a, was a joke, but some of them are scams. Also as well, some cryptocurrencies just cease to exist. You know, one minute they're there, one minute they're gone. Probably because they're a scam, it was a quick cash grab, so be careful of that. So if I was you, just stick to like the real safe kind of cryptocurrencies. If you do have to go into it, and invest in it stick to like the bitcoins the ethereums the ones that are in like the top five or ten you know so that would be my advice just don't go too deeply into altcoins and don't look for ones that have you know got a market cap of like one million pounds or something like that you know go for something that's a little bit more trusted and even the trusted ones like bitcoin you know i mean fucking hell we don't even know who invented it so even that 
take with a pinch of salt. So yeah, that's my two cents on Bitcoin and also hopefully a bit of an introduction introduction to cryptocurrencies in general. So I hope you enjoyed it. I've not done this style of podcast in a little while where I just give you information and then give my opinion on it. And uh, I try to remain as unbiased as possible. The more podcasting I do, though, it's harder to stay impartial. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. And I think it's, you know, it's because podcasts, uh, you know, are something I'm quite passionate about. And as a result, I end up injecting some of myself into it. But hopefully I did give you some impartial information there, as well as my own experience. And once again, hope you learned something. I hope you enjoyed it. Please like, subscribe, leave a comment, drop me a message on Instagram, whatever it is. And have a great day and be safe out there if you do go into cryptocurrency. Bye.